morning. I'm really glad we chant to that chant before the talks. The idea of coming here and just speaking is really terrifying, but somehow that chant makes it easy. Er. <laughs> so, feel the support of that. The talk I'd like to give this morning um, kind of emerged out of an effort to kind of bring together three strands or three uh, three strands of experience that uh, over the past few weeks I've uh, touched maybe a little bit, and I have a sense that they're connected, and this talk is uh, it's an effort to kind of fill in the space between these three things. Uh, and I'd also like to begin by thanking Ryan and Dexter and Flo for some conversations over the past couple days that have helped, uh, helped me do that. Um, these three things are, first, uh, heartbreak. Uh, the experience of the heart cracking open. Or, if not cracking completely, some, some fissure there in the heart. And then second, the idea of not seeing things as objects. So Intimacy. And then uh, third, which uh, piggybacks on what Kosen was talking about last week during the Zazenkai, uh, relentlessness. Not just relentlessness of Zen practice, but uh, in, in my case, I was thinking of also the relentlessness of my karmic Uh, kind of ongoing onslaught of my karmic life. And I think it's bringing these three things together is ambitious. So I can also, i giving two more talks in this practice period, so I can, I have the luxury of framing this as part one. And it's also, I think, a continuation uh, of what I was talking about before, and also what Kosen and Laura have been talking about to a certain extent. Um, I'd like to start by reading a passage from this book called The Smell of Rain on Dust, Grief and Praise, by Martin Precto. And I think this will maybe set in motion the first... Uh, attempt to connect these things. This chapter, the first chapter of the book is called Normal Grief. Our first song is grief. 
As humans, we start our lives from the very first instant with a deep artistic expression of our first loss. Not with a phlegmatic smile, nor with a void, empty slate, but with a truly elegantly active spiritual intelligence that knows we must sing grief a song whose grandeur, even for its smallness, has all adults in hearing distance tearing up as well, because all real grief causes all to grieve. All of us were born masters of that hopeful, life-giving sound of grief the day we rolled in. It is a newborn baby's grief, grief's wail that is the most profound form of praise for being alive. Babies know what we all know inside, the grief for the loss of the rhythm of the mother who is the earth and for whom we should all again find a voice and mind to elaborate that grief into praise. And lately I've been experiencing, especially this past week, it's been very alive for me. This uh, physical sensation of Um, at first I thought it was the beginning of my heart about to break. Like I was on the verge of this kind of cataclysmic heart crack. And for a while I was trying to, you know, trying to make it happen. Okay, let's do it. Let's have the event, the cataclysmic event. Um... And I stopped doing that. And then more and more, it's uh, kind of the sensation I'm experiencing now is more of a ongoing, low-grade heartache. It's like, um, it also feels like it, there's a, about to be something, but it also feels like this sustained... It's like functional heartache. Like I can still, you know, do my daily functions, um, but there's this bodily uh, sensation of this uh, heartache, which I think is like the grief that that he's talking about in this book. And it seems uh, uh, part of the heartache seems to be the result or uh, almost a, a byproduct of the relentlessness of, uh, of my lived experience. And in my case, I'm... I'm kind of framing it within my role as interim director, which is kind of the uh, the domain of practice where I lately really experience this quality of uh, relentlessness, uh, whether it's the relentlessness of tasks or the relentless, more often the relentlessness of my reactions, uh, which have become so rote and familiar. And there's been this uh, 
Yeah, almost this uh, this pummeling that has uh, it feels like it's a tenderizing of the heart. And I'm also beginning to see how this tenderizing of the heart, the heart, the the low grade sustained heartache, is at the same time. Uh, like a necessary precondition for me to keep turning towards the relentlessness of my life. So it's almost like the heartbreak comes, uh, is born out of the relentlessness, and it's also supporting me to keep going. And there seem to be two two uh, dimensions. I think they're simultaneous, but I, I, I need to, I want to distinguish them. So like the heartache, in one sense, is, part of it is like feeling the pain of the separation from my karma. So, uh, Tasting the, the pointedness of that of that separation, and to the extent that I'm able to see that separation and it can fall away a bit, there's also almost a mourning of that separation, and almost even an appreciation for it. Like we mourn the separation and the, in a way, kind of a poignant, the poignant folly, poignant, poignant folly of, you know, our well-intentioned efforts to keep our, to survive over the years that these separations have supported. So there's like a, the pain of the separation and, uh, to the extent we can let them go of an appreciation that's in with that grief. So they fall away with love. Yeah. And somehow that the transmutation or this kind of uh, interweaving of uh, grief and appreciation enables me, empowers me when I turn towards um, engaging with the relentlessness. I can, it's almost like it's teaching me to hold that relentlessness with uh, with a spaciousness and a sense of appreciation for the life that's there. Uh, I know also uh, Kosen talked about the koan of non-koan and the cat, which I'd like to 
resuscitate a bit. A cat is killed, just to let you know, a cat is killed in this story. Um, the Nanquan, the teacher, walks into the hall, and the two sides of the hall are arguing over a cat. And Nanquan grabs the cat and holds it up and tells the arguing monks. Okay, if you, can, if you can say something now, I won't cut the cat in two. And the assembly is paralyzed. They're struck dumb. They can't say anything. You know, at this pivotal moment when a life hangs in the balance. And he cuts the cat in two. And later on, Nanquan meets uh, with Zhao Zhou and tells him what happened. And Zhao Zhou takes his sandal and puts it on his head. And I used to think this was just this bizarre, you know, <coughs> Zen non sequitur. Um, but later I, I, I learned that the, this, this, uh, this action is... Uh, uh, a symbol of mourning. And so when he does this, Nanquan says, if you had been there, the cat would still be alive. And the more I read these koans, that's really interesting. How I, I, People always remember like the big event, the cat getting cut in two. or. Uh, but there, a lot of what I am starting to pick up are on these quieter moments. If you had been there, the cat would still be alive. And when I read that, I, I think of you know, if there had been an, uh, a human expression of grief in that moment, that that would have actually enabled an appropriate response to the situation and saved the cat's life. So it's almost like the koan is encouraging me to feel into uh, a grief that's actually a life-sustaining force. One of the commentaries, the koan, one of the says, meanwhile, we're still here and now we have no cat. What dog shall we argue over now? So it's like saying, we have to keep going. There's, this isn't going to end. There are going to be over and over. Not going to be, there are. Lives hanging in the balance now. And can we meet that with uh, a 
a human response that's not rooted in a duality that sees only one side or the other. I'm going to turn the page and it's going to be blank. Oh, no. <laughs> There's also gratitude in in the sensation of the low-grade heartbreak. There's gratitude, appreciation, and grief, sadness. How can I... uh, How can I cultivate the space in my life for uh, for a low-grade heartache that I think is necessary to engage in uh, bodhisattvic activity. It's an uplifting, an uplifting grief uh, that sustains us and can keep us in the game. And also, during this time, there have been moments when, when that heartache's not there, and I close off, and I throw myself into work with kind of a halo of goals and expectations that are prodding me along, and the heart's not there. It's just a, an old habitual muscle that's pushing me along. And then I keep pushing and I keep pushing and I go along. Ten more emails. I'll do ten more emails. And, I, and, then, and then there's been moments when I'm kind of working from that separated place that the, the work cracks me open, and I remember. And then I kind of feel the, su- the support of the relentlessness, the relentlessness. So it almost felt like I was you know, faking it till I make it. Well, I'll just do the work, and then there'll be a, a cracking open and that I can return to this work in a, in a new way that's not separated. So I think this, uh, the, the heartbreak 
fuels compassion. Kind of taste the edges of our own karma. Taste the suffering. And now we're able to resonate with the suffering of others. And bring it in close. And the, our subject-object ways fall away. We bring, in, we bring in the suffering close. And in the closeness, it's transformed. The difficulty is brought in close. And in the closeness, it's transformed. So it's almost like there's a, I'm envisioning this kind of dynamic cycle of relentlessness that is met with uh, almost a relentless intention and that's to be with it, kind of the wholesome relentlessness that that Kostin was talking about. I want to leave some time for questions, so I just like to end with uh, actually a quote from uh, from Nagarjuna, which I think captures the the ongoingness of the Bodhisattva vow. And I know in the Julmir Samadhi class, there's been a lot of talk of the arrow points meeting head on. And this passage also has arrow points. Well, not arrow points meeting, but arrows meeting in midair, but in a different way. Just as an archer might shoot their arrow upwards, causing each in succession to strike the one before, each holding up the other, so none are allowed to fall. So it is with the great Bodhisattva. Into the emptiness of the gates to liberation, they skillfully release the arrows of the mind. Through artful, skillful means, arrows are continuously held aloft. So none are allowed to fall back down into nirvana. I guess I'd like to extend an invitation to, uh, consi- to for us to consider what it um, what it would mean to cultivate functional low-grade heartache that can support us and teach us to face, uh, to face suffering. And, and teach us to take care of ourselves so we can keep, keep these arrows flying.
Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.